All right. Hello, everybody. Anybody stir crazy? Yeah, it's good to be here, right? And I'm so glad you are. For those online, if you're watching from somewhere else, stir crazy because of another ice mageddon. Uh, for a few days here. So it's great to, uh, it's great to all be together. And I want to thank you. Uh, there's so many things to thank you for. You're amazing. And, but here's what I want to thank you for. For those of you who are online, thank you for sharing and, uh, and sharing with other people and inviting. And, and, uh, and for those of you who are in the room, um, I, I meet new people after every service. And if you're new and I haven't met you, I'd love to do that if you're here at Legacy. But I'll just be right over there. But the, the most consistent thing I hear right away is, man, this place is so welcoming. It just, it just felt like home, right? You know, and, and that's, that's not because of me. That's because of you. And so thank you for just being welcoming. This church is family. And thank you for making it feel more that way. And just please understand, if, you're, if you've been here more than once, you're on the welcome team. All right? You've got a job. And that job is to let other people know how welcome they are. And just talk to somebody. Get to know them a little bit. Just say, hey, haven't met you yet. Glad you're here. Whatever. Um, extroverts, you'll love it. And introverts, I'll try to guilt you to do it anyway. All right? So just so today we're continuing our series called GOAT, Greatest of All Time, about Jesus, who is the greatest of all time, how to live life like him, because his invitation was to follow him into a new way of life. Not just believe a few things and go on, but belief is part of it. But then to walk into a whole new life of transformation. And we find transformation in the process of these disciplines that we're talking about. That as we put these new habits that shape us, these new habits in place, God meets us in that and grows us. And each week of this 45-day challenge is built around a different discipline. And last week's discipline was intentional community. We talked about how difficult that is in an individualistic culture. Well, today's, I think... Today's discipline, even more difficult in our particular culture for most people, certainly me, and that is the discipline of solitude, of silence and solitude. In such a, in a world where we run so fast, pulled so many directions, our, our lives are so overpacked full, and all the distractions we have in a modern world, it's hard to find solitude. It's, it's just a tough discipline. And just as one picture of that, this is, uh, I, I kind of have in my, you know, in my brain all the time, I'm thinking about sermon illustrations. So I have these different files in my brain. And this one comes out of, yeah, that was so stupid. I should never use that in a sermon. <laughs> but I'm going to pull it out because I think you can handle it. So, um, so this was about 10 years ago. I was playing golf with my youngest son, Caleb. So he was 16 then. We were in Alabama. That's where I grew up. I was there visiting family, or we were there visiting family. Alabama's a beautiful state. If you haven't been there, I grew up in North Alabama. It's in the foothills of the Appalachian mountain chain. So this golf course that I was playing uh, was, is on, in a, on a mountain. So huge elevation changes. And the second hole is a really cool hole. There it is, where it, it's hard to see depth perception. But you're, I don't know, 300, 400 feet up, maybe more, a um, couple hundred yards up um, from when you're on the tee box down to where the fairway is. And so it's a fun, you know, hole from that perspective. So we tee off and then we get in our cart to go down the hill. Now it's a steep hill going down because it's a lot of elevation, a few hundred yards. And this particular golf course um, has had a, got, uh, not electric things, electric golf carts with a governor. These are 
gas-powered carts, and they didn't have a governor, which means they would go as fast as you could go if you had some gravity, if you were going downhill. And so because of that, because this was a steep, curvy path going down, they had a big sign saying, you know, careful, you know, make sure you don't get too much speed. They had on this serpentine thing going down the cart path, they had all these speed brakes, all the, you know, bumps all over to make you ride the thing. And Caleb, my youngest, was 16. He loves speed. He loves adventure. He still to this day. So I decided just on a whim that rather than going down the cart path with all the speed bumps, I would just go right over, um, just right down the grass hill. It wasn't a cliff, but it was steep. If it was a ski slope, it would be double black. It was about a 70 degree pitch, about 300 yards of that. And without thinking a whole lot, I just went boom down. And without the governor, what that meant was, is we quickly got to about 60 miles an hour, is my guess, in this golf cart. And we're bound, it's not even, right? We're bouncing around and how we didn't fall, how we didn't, you know, go over or even topple, uh, you know, back over front. I have no idea. There were so many times we almost did. And stuff was falling out of our cart. By the time we got down, hardly anything was left in our cart or in our golf bags. It was just all over the place. And so we're going down. We finally get down to the bottom and, and where we can stop. And my 16-year-old son looks at me and he said, Dad, what were you thinking? <laughs> and I was like, and when Caleb says that, that's a big question. I'm like, Caleb, <laughs> I wasn't thinking. And, and we, we had to just be quiet for a little while. Uh, because, just to kind of take stock of what just happened and our whole life and, you know, our, you know, our commitments and what's important. I mean, just one of those moments where you're like, man, we, that could have been really, really bad. And, and the reason I share that is not so that you can put it in your, yeah, I knew my pastor was stupid file in your brain. The reason I'm sharing that is because you may not do that, but all of us in this life is just kind of the way modern life is set up is it is easy to go through life like that. About 60, 70 miles an hour going down the hill, stuff falling every once in a while. And every now and then, it's really important to kind of stop and say, hey, what am I thinking? Like, what, what's going on here? And, and that's what we're going to talk about today is, is the intentional choice on a regular basis and, and all the speed of our life to stop, to push pause. To consider our life, to connect with our soul, and more, more importantly, connect with God and to be with God. And our lives between you know, family and jobs and church and activities and sports, I mean, it's just so crazy. It's really hard to do what we're talking about, to just have quiet time on a regular basis where we can be with God and hear from Him and pray and we're going to talk about what that means and if you're even if you're not a christian i think you know yeah that'd be a good thing to do you know it's mindfulness people talk about but for christians we're talking about being able to have a relationship with god that's a real relationship with the almighty god and yet we tend to do that so little not only because of our busyness but also distractions i mean the average human right now not even just american the average human on the planet Spend seven hours a day on screens. Now, about three hours of that, the average human on this planet is watching TV or some kind of streamed content. And then the rest of it is filled up with just browsing the Internet, social media and so on. And in that world, I mean, we, it's just automatic, right? I mean, you see it even 
uh, today, it, it happened to me twice because I was thinking about this. People in front of me at stoplights, right? Get on their phone. It's like, forget they're driving. You know, I didn't honk. I was good because I knew I might talk about that as an illustration. So I was, I just let them, you know, figure it out. But right, we're just so quick to, to just be distracted. And I think most of us don't really need a motivational talk on why it would be a good thing to have more time of solitude to be with God and to hear from him and to pray. I think, I think most of I, I'm not going to try to guilt you into doing it more or even try to motivate you to do. I mean, I, I hope I, I think you're already motivated. But what we want to talk about is how to do it. Like, how can we pull this off? In a, in a life like this. And if we did pull it off, what would we actually do? And the way we're going to do that is to learn from the goat. We're going to learn from Jesus. As he was very good at doing this. As he was in the midst of a busy life himself. As we're going to see, made a priority, made a discipline. And this is a discipline of time of solitude and time where he could be with his father, with God, praying and hearing from him. And so we're going to look at a couple passages. There's a lot of them in the New Testament books about Jesus's life. Um, oh, just to motivate you a little bit. I forgot this quote from Henry now. And I said I wouldn't guilt you into it, but sorry. Here it is. It's without solitude it is virtually impossible to live a spiritual life. We do not take the spiritual life seriously if we don't if we don't set aside some time to be with God and listen to him. And, and that's just true. And I think most of us would be like, yeah, that's true. But how can we pull it off? Well, looking at Jesus, one of the one of the best passages for me is in Luke chapter five. And here it is. The, the news about him, Jesus spread all the more so that the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. So we learned two things in that passage. The first sentence was about his busyness. He was busy. He was pulled lots of different directions Constantly, people were around him wanting to hear what he had to say, wanting to be taught or wanting to be healed. And so he lived a very full, busy life. Now, that's very, very helpful observation for me, because often when when spiritual people talk about how to be spiritual and how to spend with time with God, it, it seems like often they are people who just like to not do a whole lot. And what I mean is a lot of the people who write books about spirituality and they're wonderful people and all, but they're kind of a similar personality. They're introverts who like to just read and be quiet in a room. I mean, that's just how they're wired and that's why they write those kind of books and they should and I'm all for it. But it can leave people like me feeling like I'm out on that because I'm not like that. I don't know if you are or not, but you know, some of us in this room, certainly I am, are, I'm much more goal-oriented, task-oriented. I'm a driven person, which can be good and bad. It's just, what I, it's just the way I'm wired. I'm more type A, more driven, not so contemplative. And I would make a terrible monk. I wouldn't last a minute. But, um, and, and some of you, you know, if you're like that, I mean, that's awesome. I'm, not, I'm really not trying to say it's bad to be contemplative. I think it's wonderful. But what about the rest of us who aren't that way? And because when I look at when you look at the life of Jesus, he was busy and he was mission oriented. And he talked about his mission a lot. He was goal or he wasn't busy and regretted it. He was busy on purpose because he had a mission and he had focus and he had intent. Um, A few years ago, a buddy of mine who is a fellow 
Christian leader, type A, driven guy, called me and he said, hey, Jeff, um, I'm pulling together a group of people. I, I hope you'll be in it. And we just want to do a Bible study. We may even make a book out of it. But what we want to do is what I'm doing is just trying to pull, you know, people who are accomplishment oriented Christian leaders to do a study on spirituality for type A people. Like what does type A spirituality look like? Because plenty of people write the other kind of personality. I mean, that they, they get all the coverage, but it leaves us kind of feeling like, yeah, I'll never do that. So what is, you know, so and, and you know what I told them? I mean, I didn't even think about it as bad until I was thinking about this as an illustration. But I said, hey, Brad, I love the idea. I really don't want to make time for that. But I would love for you to do that with a group of people. And then bottom line it for me, like keep me up to date. And uh, and you know what happened with that group? Everybody said the same thing that I just said. And so it never really came together. I think a couple people met a couple times and, OK, we should do better, I, I, you know, but. But Jesus was a, I don't mean driven in a bad way. I mean driven by mission, driven by love. He was a driven, goal-oriented person. And it helps me to know that. Because it means I can, I can learn how to play too. Some of you are just naturally going to be good at what we're talking about, silence and solitude. And I, I love that. I, you, you help us be better. But Jesus shows the rest of us that we can all do this. And, and because he was so busy... He made this a discipline, not despite being busy, but because he was so busy, he needed to be with God. He needed that focus. He needed that energy. He needed that connection. He needed that perspective. And because of that, he made a discipline. It says, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed often. It wasn't just one time. It wasn't an accident. This was a regular part of his life often. And what did he do often? He withdrew to lonely places and prayed. The, the Greek word translated lonely places, we're going to see in the next passage too, the same word. And you see him going to these whatever the lonely places is. The Greek word is eratos. And it just means a, a, a place of solitude. That you, you think about like a place in the wilderness, a place in the woods. This was more deserty. But it's just, it, you're, a, you're a retos. If you're going to spend time with God, the point is, hey, find your quiet place. It could be a closet. It could be a, a room. It could be a chair in a corner. It could be outside. It could be in the wilderness, whatever. But Jesus often withdrew to his eratos, his quiet place, his solitary place, his lonely place. Often. How often? We don't know. But it was often enough that it was a discipline. And if you and I are going to pull this off, for most of us, it's going to be a discipline. Just like last week we talked about with relationships. In an individualistic world, we're really busy. It's easy to take key relationships for granted rather than make them a priority. And so we talked about how, you know, I, I think you have to schedule it and build your calendar around it. Same with this. To have a regular rhythm, to have a, a discipline of, of going to your quiet place, to have a quiet time with God. And I'll just tell you mine. This is my plan, okay? This, you make up yours, but if you want to cheat off my paper, here it is. And some of you are going to hear mine and be like, wow, that's it? I do way more than that. And good for you. I'm glad you do. But this is just my deal, okay? So it's real simple. It's moments every day. More moments one day a week. Even more moments once a quarter. 
So here's what I mean by that. Every day, my goal is to just have moments where I can be with God. And for me, that means I, I spend some time with an open Bible. And, and usually I, I'm going through a book or something. I just go chapter. I do a chapter, read a chapter and say, God, would you speak into my life? Would you, what, what do you want to say to me? What would it mean for me to live this out? What one thing do you want to impress on me today? And then I spend a little bit of time praying. And when I say moments, sometimes that's 10 minutes. Sometimes 20 minutes. Sometimes it's, I go crazy and it's 30 minutes. And some of you are like, 30 minutes? I do two hours. And that's awesome. I'm glad you do. I, I think that's great. I don't. I can't focus that long. So for me, it's, you know, 5, 10, 20 minutes. Whatever it is, is what it is. And then one day a week, um, it, it, I like to just get a little bit more time than that. To be unrushed. And there's one day a week, Thursdays, where my schedule tends to be a little bit lighter. And, and that's typically that when that happens. And then one day a quarter, even more time than that. And really what that means is I spend a day with God one day a quarter. But here's the way I do that. And I have to do it this way, again, just because my personality. You have to figure it out with your personality. So that guy that I talked about who was leading the type A Bible study that didn't happen, um, his name is Brad. And once a quarter... Uh, Brad and I um, get together for a day. We go to a really cool house. It's his mother-in-law's house in Highland Park. And it's this humongous house. So he goes to a section of the house. I go to a section of the house in the morning. And we spend a couple hours. And he said, well, what do you do? I'll get to, we'll get to some help on that later. But we spend time with God separately. And then we come together for lunch in walking distance. It's a really great French restaurant. We, that we always go to, we eat French food, and, um, and then we come back to the house, split up again, and then get together at the end of the day just to debrief a little bit. Hey, what did we hear? You know, what do what what you sense God saying to you in these moments? And if I didn't do it that way, I'm not sure I would do it. I would want to do it, but not do it. Because for me, actually scheduling with somebody and a commitment I have with somebody else will mean that I'm going to do it. Because I'm not going to break a commitment. And there's accountability built into that and then debriefing built into that. It's a way for me to deepen a relationship as well. So that's, that's the way I do it. And I would encourage you to think about, well, what would that discipline look like for you as a regular discipline? It says Jesus often did this. We don't know how much. He'd do that every day. I don't know. Probably not. Did he do it lots of days a week? I, I don't know. Whatever often is, is what he did. It was a regular discipline. And it was a discipline. We're going to see one of those oftens, one of those instances where he spends time with God. And, 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 and you can see that, man, he, it wasn't easy for him. He had to fight for this. And often you see that when you read the Gospels. It, it'll talk about how he would withdraw to a mountain, to a lonely place, his eretos, or go off here, go off there. But here's one of those, and it's in Mark chapter 1. And, it's, and I love Mark chapter 1 because it gives us a day in the life of Jesus And it gives you a sense that, yeah, he lived a very full and busy life where he was pulled in lots of directions. He wasn't like a a monk in a monastery just hanging out and whatever. He, He lived a very full life. And here's just one day, and then we'll get to his time in the Aretas. But first, here's the day that comes before the time he wakes up early that we're going to read about. This is a day in the life of Jesus. And this is from the message uh, translation, or it's more of a paraphrase in the New Testament. 
But I love the wording. It gives us a better, I think it gives a better sense of the day. So here it is in Mark 1, 21. When the Sabbath arrived, Jesus lost no time in getting to the meeting place, the synagogue. He spent the day there teaching. They were surprised at his teaching, so forthright, so confident, not quibbling and quoting like the religion scholars. Suddenly, while still in the meeting place, he was interrupted by a man who was deeply disturbed and yelling out. He was demon-possessed. What business do you have here with us, Jesus, Nazarene? I know what you're up to. You're the Holy One of God, and you've come to destroy us. The demons are talking. Jesus shut him up. Quiet, get out of him. The afflicting spirit threw the man into spasms, protesting loudly, and got out. Everyone there was incredulous, buzzing with curiosity. What's going on here? A new, te- a new teaching that does what it says? He shuts up defiling demonic spirits and send them packing. News of this traveled fast and was soon all over Galilee. Directly on leaving the meeting place, which he'd been at all day teaching, they came to Simon and Andrew's house, accompanied by James and John. Simon's mother-in-law was sick in bed, burning up with fever. They told Jesus he went to her, took her hand, and raised her up. No sooner had the fever left than she was up fixing dinner for them. That evening, after the sun was down, they brought sick and evil afflicted people to him. The whole city lined up at his door. He cured their sick bodies and tormented spirits because the demons knew his true identity. He didn't let them say a word. That was, that's a day in the life of Jesus. And that's a Sabbath day. The Sabbath day was supposed to be a day that was not so busy. But for Jesus, he spends the day teaching in the synagogue. He, at night when he goes, he's staying at Peter's house. You know, she has a fever, heals him. And then all that, they eat dinner. And then all these people are lined up. We don't know how long into the night all that went as he was healing and ministering to people late into the evening. But then we read. While it was still night, way before dawn, so this was that same day, so he presumably goes to sleep for a little bit. But while it was still night, way before dawn, he got up and went out to a secluded spot, a retos, a lonely place, and prayed. While it was still night, before the sun got up. Why? Because if he waited for the sun to get up, all those people would be up. And there was no way he was going to get any quiet time with God the Father. And so he makes a painful decision. It wouldn't have been easy in his humanity. He was tired like you and I get tired. But he gets up early in the morning before everybody else. I'm sure trying to be really careful not to wake anybody up. And he gets to his place. Because he knew how significant that discipline was for him. To be with God and to be with his Father. And for you and me, this is a discipline. And it's a discipline that nobody's going to do for us. And what we're going to see next in this story, we also can't wait for people to understand why we need it. Because here's what happens next. Simon, one of the disciples and those with him, went looking for him when they got up. They found him in his eratos, spending time with God the Father. They found him and said, everybody's looking for you. You hear the shaming in that? It's like, what are you doing? What are you doing goofing around in the woods? Don't you know that everybody's looking for you? All these needy people. They're, they were all, everybody's up and we don't know where you've been and we've been looking for you. And now we finally found you. What's going on? Let's, let's go. Let's, let's meet some needs. Let's talk to these people. Let's help these people. But for Jesus, he was perfectly fine. Choosing the discipline of spending time with the Father, even though there were lots of unmet needs. In fact, he goes on. He says, you know what? We're not going back. We're going to the next town. Again, with his mission in mind. 
because it's not just about one place. We're going we're gonna to go to the next town. And he goes on. But the point of this is, like his friends who didn't really understand what was going on, you and I can't wait for other people to make this a priority for us. Like, I think, the, the, well, I know, the hardest, the hardest group of people to find quiet time in a quiet place is a young parent. You know, if you've got kids who are preschoolers or even elementary or whatever, and they're around in the last few days, they've been around a lot. And uh, then quiet time in a quiet place, really? How's that going to happen, you know? And you, it's not like your kids are going to figure it out, right? Your two-year-old and four-year-old and six-year-old are all going to have a meeting and they're going to come and say, Mom, Dad, we've been talking and we know you need more quiet time to be with God, more solitude. So what we decided is we're going to, the six-year-old, I'm going to start taking naps again. And, uh, and we're all going to take a nap at the same time. And it's going to be like an hour and a half. And then we're just going to wait in bed for another 30 minutes as if we're, like you'll never even know we're awake. And that way you can have the time you need and you'll get two good hours in. And because we, like that's obviously never going to happen, right? Or your boss is probably not going to come to you this week and say, man, you've been killing it lately, man. You've been doing so good. And, and because of that, man, I, I really, I, I know how important it is to not just work hard, but also to have time of quiet and solitude to reflect and to reconnect with your soul. If you're a faith person, to reconnect with God. So I'm going to give you a couple days a month that I just want you to be with, you know, be, have silence and solitude. Well, that's probably not going to happen. We can't wait for other people to do that. It's on us to do that. And what I found, and again, maybe this is just my quirk and my personality, is the hardest person to convince that I need this is me. I mean, I know up here, I really do. But the hardest person to argue with is me. Because being a, a goal-oriented person, a performance-oriented person, a task-oriented person, and some of you who aren't that way are thinking, man, you're messed up. But I'm, some of you get it. Like, you're like, yeah, I get it. It just, it can feel like a waste of time. I know it's not. I don't even like saying those words. But in the moment... Before I get into it, it can feel that way because I'm always thinking about what I'm not doing that I should be doing or what I'm not preparing that I should be preparing or what I, you know, what I'm, it's always going through my mind. Some people have jobs or they'll talk about, oh yeah, I leave work at home. Like what? Like how do you, how does that happen? Like how I'm, it's in my head all the time, right? I'm always thinking about that. And so therefore when I, it feels like a therapy session, but when I, um, so when I, when I'm alone or when I have discretionary time, it's just easier for me to, right? I just know the tasks that are undone and the things that I need to be doing. And, and it's easier for me to steer that direction than a time where I decouple from that and choose solitude and, and just choose to be alone with God. I have to convince myself is kind of the hardest to convince. That's why. Um, it, it took me a long time to do a sabbatical. I did a sabbatical last year. And I know I've got an unusual job where people encourage you to do the stuff we're talking about doing. And uh, including a sabbatical. We have a sabbatical policy for pastors. And, and I'd never done it. And our board be like, hey, look, we either need to get rid of the policy or you need to do a sabbatical. Because what you're communicating to the organization is if you're a slacker, 
go ahead and take your sabbatical. But if you're really into this, like I am, you, you won't do it. Because for, I've been doing this, I, I've been on staff for 34 years and I've just never done it. And it may be confusing because I do a study break in July. But that's about content production. It's about content creation. And it's the most important time of the year for me. And to prepare in, in advance, both you know, content, whether it's series or other stuff I'm doing, or vision and strategy and all that. So I, I feel a lot of content creation pressure in that study break in July. A sabbatical is not that. A sabbatical is where you decouple from all that to have time what we're talking about. And, and it was hard for me to do that. But I did it last January, February, this time last year. I was on sabbatical during the Immerse series that I'd gone over and taped in Israel. And most of that time I was in Colorado. And I, and I had way more time than normal just to be with God. And I, would, uh, I was at a ski place, so I would spend the morning. Uh, I'd get up earlier in the morning and, uh, and read uh, with an open Bible. Have some time to pray. Have some time to think. And there was a couple books I was reading. I tried to read slow. Um, not fast to try to get through it real quick, but just be in it. That would give me a theme for the day. And then I would go and I would ski for a little bit with God, just him and me. And talking through it and uh, with him and, and thinking more deeply about that. In the afternoon, I just did fun stuff, I, I, you know, whatever with other people and things like that. And I did that most days. And it was life changing for me. And And at the end of that time, I wrote out. The, I was thinking about the importance of this discipline. And I started, and I, so I just took some time to write out, what do I lose if I don't go back and give greater priority to solitude? Of just spending more time with God in, in his presence. And here's what I lose. This is what I wrote out. I lose perspective. I'm not really present when I am with, when I am with people. I'm overly annoyed with difficult people. I struggle with being as creative as I need to be. I find my worth and identity in all the wrong things, losing sight of whose I am. I live disconnected from God. I miss what he is wanting to whisper into my life. I'm troubled by things that are not mine to worry about or that don't even really matter. I care too much about what other people think. My spiritual, and my spiritual energy and sensitivity are empty. Well, that's a lot to give up. So I came back with a whole new commitment and I've done better, but it's just hard. It's a, it is a discipline to, to prioritize time with God. So let's, in, in solitude, in silence. And so let's talk about, just get really practical what this might look like. Because in this series, it's not just a series designed to talk about these practices, but to actually put into practice these practices. And I think it'd be great to think about your rhythm. You know, mine was, hey, moments a day. More moments once a week, a day, every quarter. You decide what your rhythm might look like. But here's the challenge that I want us all to attempt. And that is to spend, and it's not probably going to happen this week. You'll have to plan it over the next couple months. But to spend a half day with God in silence and solitude. Now, some of you are thinking, yeah, right. Like a half day. Like, you know, if you, again, if you got little kids, you're like, I can't get two minutes alone in the bathroom, you know, a half a day. So it's going to take some work. Okay. It's going to take some effort. It's going to take some planning. You're going to have to, you know, get some help. But to think about it. And if you're like, I can't do half day, 
I can do maybe two hours. I can do an hour. I can do 20. Great. But just choose a, a chunk of time and try this. And it's going to get clunk, It's going to be a little clunky, a little bit awkward. You think, I don't know what to do. But there's a lot of help on the app. So if you go on the app, on the Chase Oaks app for this series, for this challenge of spending the half day with God, there's all kinds of help on what you would actually do in that. And uh, there's wings in the wings with Jeff. I interact with Jan Sampak, who's like my big sister. And she was a pastor on our staff for years. And she's a super godly person um, who is also a spiritual director. And when I think of somebody that I want to learn how to spend time in solitude and silence with God, she's my go-to person, which is why I went to her. And so there's an interview, about a 30-minute interview, 20-something minute interview with her, where we just talk about that. And then on there is also like a four or five minute little deal where she just looks directly at you or me, whoever's looking at the app to say, if you're going to spend an extended time with God, here's what I would do. Here's what I would suggest. There's also a PDF in the app that just is a guide on, hey, if you're going to spend that amount of time with God, here's one way to do it. Here's some things that you might want to consider. And for some of you, if you're a if you're an introvert thinking about half day with God, you're like, that's nothing. If you're an extrovert, you're thinking, oh, man, what? You know, right? That's harder. And so just like me, do it with somebody else. Um, it, it helps me to do that. You can split up for a time and get back together and talk and split. And I think that's great. Do it with your personality. There's no rules. It, all we know is that Jesus often at great effort and discipline went to the eretos. The quiet place, to have a quiet time with God and to, and to be with him. But it didn't tell us what he did. We don't know what he did. There's freedom. There's flexibility to figure this out with your personality. And, and again, there's all kinds of help in how to do that. It'll be a little bit clunky at first, but I, I know totally worth it. Dove Seidman is, a, is another busy guy. He's a CEO of a company, but I really appreciate how he talks about it. He says, when you press the pause button on a computer, it stops. But when you press the pause button on a human being, it starts. It starts to reflect, to rethink, to reimagine. And I'm going to encourage us all to push the pause button. Because the truth is, this discipline is not a bonus. This discipline is one of those that is essential if we're going to continue to be shaped, to be, to be more and more like Jesus and to be transformed spiritually, a lot of that's going to happen at times of silence and solitude with God in a quiet place and a quiet time where we can be with him. And he'll help us do this. And our culture is not going to be easy. I have to turn off our phone. That's not easy. But we can do it. And God will meet us there. Let's bow our heads together and talk to him about it. Father, I, I thank you for the opportunity that we have to know you. Not just to know about you, not to learn things about you, but to actually know you, to have a relationship with you. That you want to speak into our hearts and lives through your word, just through your spirit. And I pray you give us ears to be able to listen to you. And the wisdom to have time to do that, to be quiet before you. And God, would you guide us as we share with you and talk with you as well? 
We look forward to the day when Jesus returns and it won't be a long distance relationship. We will be with you forever. But in the meantime, thank you for the opportunity that we have to just be with you now. And so God, would you help us to take even an awkward step? Or for some of us, maybe you've been doing this for a long time, maybe even just some new habits, some new rhythms. And for all of us who take this challenge and spend this amount of time with you, God, would you meet us in that? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.